The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. With that, uh, two things before uh, I pray for us and we get into preaching. One is that about three months ago, we talked about opening up an executive pastor position here at the Refuge Church. And, and since then, every week I've, I've had someone ask, where's that at? Have we had any candidates? And we have not had any, any good candidates for that. And, um, and with that, I just want to catch you up to, to how we're doing as a church. There hasn't been a, a tremendous sense of urgency for us with that. And that's probably led to us not spreading this this job description too far and wide. And, and one of the reasons for that is as far as the church, I feel like we're very healthy as a church. Um, and I see that in the way that, that you love one another and the way that you love God. And, and I am not anxious to add a huge new dynamic into that. And so we really do want to wait for, for the right person to come along. And in the meantime, I really believe that um, that God has given us something special here uh, to share in one another. And whenever somebody asks me, how, Daniel, how do you do it as a lead pastor of the refuge? And then now you're executive director of Coffee Oasis. How, what does that look like in your life? And, and I always share the same thing, which is uh, at the refuge church, I, I really think that that people do the priesthood of all believers pretty well. And what I mean by that is, is I see you care for one another. If someone's challenged by something, we don't have a church where the pastor is the first person you call. And that's really healthy, knowing that the spirit of God, the mighty spirit of God, for those who are saved, he's in you. And, and it doesn't have to be, man, I need to go to my pastor to pray for me. You know, you can, you can call people in your community group or, or just those around you to, to care for you. And, and so in a lot of ways, my burden as lead pastor is fairly light just because I see how you love each other. Um, so we are kind of keeping this job description out there um, if God chooses to fill that someday. In the meantime, um, Ibrahim will be, has offered to preach every other week and he's been doing a fantastic job preaching. Uh, Jake Wishoff will also be stepping into the pulpit more often. And so um, in terms of the administrative side, which has been a, a big burden for me, um, Blaine, who came on in December, has been really helpful with some of the admin tasks I was doing. Um, and then also, um, and I didn't mention this this last service, but um, Anna Stenwick, who's been our bookkeeper since June, uh, has been doing a fantastic job. So... Um, there is a lot going on in, in this world, right, of refuge and, and coffee wastes my life. But, but when I think of the Refuge Church, I just, um, I think it's very healthy. So if you think otherwise, you can email me. Just say nice things also. <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul. Um, did that remind you guys of Lion King? That. I'm a sensitive soul. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then uh, the, the second thing is we are starting a new sermon series next week. And that is on the book of Joshua. 
So uh, last week, this week, just a, a mini-series called The Most Important on, on the Great Commandment. And then starting next week, for a couple of months, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And the reason for that is, I think that's the time we are in, is this time of transition. Joshua uh, was a great leader, but he came after this legendary leader, Moses. And uh, Moses was the one who you know, God gave the law to and then and threw Moses uh, to Israel. And yet they, ha- they weren't yet in the promised land. There was the promise before them, the promise to claim. And, and as we find ourselves in this place of transition um, and, and we need the reminder of God to be strong and courageous at this time and, and to see the things he's promised and to walk into those Um, I think the book of Joshua is perfect for us. So the sermon series title is simply uh, Entering the Promise. So if you'd like to to get ready for that, you can start reading the book of Joshua. Sound good? Thank you, five of you who think that sounds awesome. That's good. Okay, pray with me. God... You, you are our God, uh, meaning uh, all, all of us, everything you've created, the world and everything in it. God, we only exist because the, the might of your hand, your generosity. And so I pray even now in this moment as, as we, we come in here, brimming over probably with so many things, I pray that we will just Worship. We'll be led to worship by reading the scripture, seeing who you are, that our priorities will be ordered. That's really what worshiping is, God, that our priorities will be ordered correctly. And so, and seeing Jesus, the way he lived and what he said, it will transform us. God, we, we pray this, we ask this because we've tried to change ourselves so many times. And are frustrated over and over again. And God, we just need your spirit. We ask that your spirit will come right now. Fill us with your fullness. Lead us in your way. Help us to see you and love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as I said, this is our second sermon of the most important series and, and you might think that is, a, that is an exaggeration. That, that title is, it has to be an exaggeration. But as you see, as we read these scriptures, it literally is the most important. Th- those three words are strung together several times in this passage. And so it, it causes us to lean in. What does Jesus say is the most important? And if that is the most important, does that get reflected in our lives? So... Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 12. You can also follow along here. This is an interaction Jesus has with uh, a professional. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. 
Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. I just pause there because I just, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by his acknowledgement. And if you, if you want to look more at some of this, especially the first part and uh, more of the context, feel free to listen to last week's sermon. Um, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The most important commandment, the most important word God has given is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Last week we looked at that part. And so I'll just share a little bit about that. And it will, if you weren't here, even if you were here, you'd probably be hungry for more. Uh, but what does it mean to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? And, and it simply means, I think that the best way we can do that is by letting God love us. By letting God love us. There's no love we have for God that doesn't start with the love God has given to us. Other than God loving us and restoring us, to be able to love him, all we have for him is the wrong kind of fear or anger Right? We, we keep ourselves at a distance from God because God, who is holy, doesn't seem attractive to us. But he seems like someone who simply will come with judgment. So how do we, how do we love God unless he first loved us? And that is exactly what the Bible says he does. That's the good news. Not that we love God, but he first loved us. Not that we love God, but he gave himself for us. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him we can be the righteousness of God. That is the good news, that God loves us. And in receiving his love, in receiving his love like a, like a child who, who, who receives the, the love of a parent, even though they don't even know how to ask for it, the parent just is just pouring out love on the child. That is the way we receive love. I mean, and this is so perfectly seen, like we talked about last week, in the, in the the parent-child relationship. What is the, the best way a child can, can love their parent? I mean, I, and I was sharing about being down with my niece and nephew is, I mean, just like <laughs> letting themselves be snuggled, right? And, and that, that's this relationship we have here. And so we go on to, to the next part, loving your neighbor as yourself. And we, we get sort of an interesting pairing here. Two people are involved in this, your neighbor and, and yourself. So before we dive in fully to that, I just want to help us reflect on this by talking about the good old times. And, and I know some of us have maybe a further memory of the good old times. But I remember in yonder year when... If you wanted to rent a movie for movie night, you would drive down to the movie store for your VHS. 
there still is a mu sort of a museum of sorts on Kitsap Way, Total Video, and we would drive to Total Video. And it's just, it's so interesting to drive by it now and remember walking in and going through the aisles and all the, you know, all the family, you'd get your, you'd pick your movies and you'd come and you'd compare which one you should get, you know, Beethoven one, two, or three. And, and you know, you'd, you'd talk about it because that might have been the only movie you'd watch all week because, because we didn't have what we have now, which is on demand. Isn't that name so telling? On demand. I can get it whenever I want and as much as I want. <laughs> right? It's not like, like you get you know, shamed because you're walking out with like eight VHSs. Now you can just binge all night long and nobody knows. And it was on demand. But even better... The reason why this technology has advanced so quickly is, is really the motivation that motivates a lot of technology, which is removal of yourself from people, right? <laughs> you don't have to talk to anybody anymore to rent a movie, and it is fantastic. <laughs> right? <laughs> so much so that you don't even have to argue anymore because you're like, Kids, get your iPads out and go in your rooms and I'll watch your own show, right? And it is, it is amazing. It's amazing how many different technologies are built around this. I learned this from, this from Aaron Biffer when we, we took a flight. And did you know you don't have to talk to anyone now when you rent a car? You literally can get off the plane, take the tram, walk through the rental place directly to the car, open it, and drive away. Yeah. You do not have to talk to anyone. Now, now there's, a, there's a lot of amazing technologies. You know, uh, one-click buying, self-checkout. Even now, you don't have to go have an awkward conversation with your teller because you can just take a picture of your check. It's awesome. Now, if this doesn't bring it all home for you because you haven't taken advantage of this technology, I just want you to think of how you felt emotionally last time you heard a knock on your door. Now, if you're a fully rational person, like I'm assuming you are, you probably thought, are there still bullets in my gun? You know, you, you were... You were like, this, this is getting dangerous. I knew I should have moved out of this neighborhood. You know, it's just, it is insane. Because immediately you're like, do I know somebody's coming over? Did my dog get out? Is it that angry lady down the street? I just, that I forget to put, I, you know, you don't know. You just don't. And, and then you, you walk up to the door. And you don't know what's on the other side. <laughs> you know? And, you, oh, and it's just, it's insane. And why do we feel that way? Because people are scary. That's why we feel that way. And that's what makes the second commandment so intense. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in, in another um, telling of this story in, in Luke... Chapter 12, um, 
or sorry, Luke chapter 10, we have, we have this interaction, but it ends with the, the teacher of the law um, being curious about this second part. And the first one, he gets a little more curious about the, the first part. This, this telling in Luke 10, he gets curious about the second part. He says, so, so wishing to justify himself and show he's a generous person, he says, well, who is my neighbor? And, and then Jesus tells the very, very popular story of, of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan story, for many of us, I mean, it's probably as familiar to us as any, any Bible story or any bedtime story that we grew up with. Um, and this is simply how it goes. I'll, I'll read it for you. Luke 10, uh, starting in verse uh, 30. Jesus replies to the man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, now notice we just don't know who this person is yet. We don't know their nationality. We don't know really anything about them. But then we start getting introduced to sort of familiar roles, roles that would have been familiar to the people in their life. A priest happened to go down the same road, and he saw the man and passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, um, you are probably not very familiar with Samaritans. Uh, But this would be the part in the movie where when Samaritan was said, it would have been like, dun, dun, dun. Right? During the priest and Levi would have been like, dun, dun, dun. And then Samaritan would have been like, dun, dun, dun. Because the Samaritans would have typically been presented as the villain. But this is how the story reads. He went to the man, the Samaritan went to the man and bandaged him, pouring oil, uh, pouring on oil and wine, and then, then put the man on his own donkey. Now, amazing details here. Not a donkey. He put the man on his own own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So so who is the neighbor here? Well, what we know from this is that, that Jesus is telling a story that's hard to swallow. He's telling the story of a man who it would have been very easy to make fun of, to make the enemy, to leave out. If he told this story where where the Samaritan was doing something bad, if he was portraying the Samaritan in such a way that he would have been made light of or little of, everyone would have been okay with that story. Jesus told a story in such a way that this this is probably the only story they did not want to hear about a Samaritan. And that is this. He was saying to you, I am, I am, imagine yourself being so hurt that you can't move. You've fallen victims. You were walking down an alleyway and you, you, you fell victim to robbers. And while you were lying there, unable to move, your eyes squint open and you see the person you hate most standing over you. And they just start loving you. They start loving you and caring for you. 
The person would be easy for you when you think of them to just gossip about or say something about. But in, in, when they're given the opportunity to take advantage of you, they just love you really well. Jesus is telling a fantastic story because he goes, I, I, I want you to imagine your neighbor differently than you have before. Now, now I want to bring this closer to home, and so I'm going to share a picture with you guys that I, I saw where we get a lot of great news, Instagram. So <laughs> this picture, and as I read it, I don't just expect, but I hope you will become uncomfortable at some point. Love thy neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy depressed neighbor, thy conservative neighbor, thy LGBTQIA neighbor, thy disabled neighbor, thy indigenous neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy progressive neighbor, thy incarcerated neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy Latinx neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, thy millennial neighbor, thy... What, what would you put in there? Now, I actually hesitated to share this picture for two reasons. One reason was, I think in naming these, it's easy for us almost in naming them to go, okay, we've mentioned it. <laughs> Move on, Right? I, I also hesitated to put this up here because in putting this up there, we begin to um, break it down in our own minds. Why was that word on there? And all of a sudden you start thinking about someone else and their perspectives and, or maybe you're on there in some way. And you're like, why am I on? Right? All these things that all of a sudden we move away from the command, not the suggestion, the command, love this person. And But why do we start piecemealing it to try to figure out to what extent or how far or... But the Good Samaritan story tells a very different story than your mind starts working. And, and it tells a story like this. I shared about the alleyway, but I just want to imagine maybe... Probably a lot of you don't walk down alleyways. But I want to imagine you in your, your front yard. And you're, you're doing yard work outside and, and you have a terrible accident. I don't know, you're cutting down a tree and it falls on you. But as you're laying there, unable to do anything, your neighbor comes over and your neighbor is, let's say, an atheist. Not just an atheist that they don't believe in God, but they are, they are actually violently against God. Like every time, you can't talk to your neighbor without them just mocking you. They just think you're stupid because you believe in God. Um, and and you, honestly, you're fed up with it. You're, you're fed up with just the way they treat you. You just think he's a jerk. And while you're lying there, that man comes over and you imagine you think, oh, great. And he takes you and he cares for you way better than you would ever care for him. He just loves you cares for your wounds, goes, hey, don't worry about it. You're going to stay with me. I just have prepared the, the guest room. We're gonna, my family's going to cook for you all night. What a reversal. Love thy neighbor and this being your neighbor. 
Now, there's a lot more that can be dwelt on about this, but, but I won't because I simply want to move on to the answering maybe why, even though we know um, people who are difficult for us to love, we should love. We don't. So I want to I try to answer, looking at scripture, why we don't love. Why we don't love sometimes immigrants, people of other races, atheists, Muslims, people with mental health issues, schizophrenia maybe, right? People of other political leanings. Why, why do we not love? And I think it's answered in the second part of the command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think we don't love our neighbors well because we don't love ourselves well. And already you're probably like, he's a weirdo, right? Like self-love. I'm just saying what the Bible's saying, okay? Literally, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you know that we're supposed to love that neighbor, right, that neighbor, but we aren't, then you probably aren't loving yourself well. Now, now the word self-love feels to me like, like nails on a chalkboard. And, and I have to wrestle with that. Why does self-love sound like such a bad thing? I don't, do any of you guys feel like this? Like you hear it and you're like, Ugh. and the reason for that is because I think there's just a straight line for many of us from self-love to narcissism or from, from self-love to, to a harmful pride in self. And, and I simply want to say in self-love, it is not saying love the way you see yourself. See, because God sees you differently than you see yourself. So in, in self-love, loving others as you love yourself, it's going love the you God sees or God made you to be. See, so many of us, we struggle with love and love for ourselves because we sincerely think, and we probably wouldn't say it, but we sincerely think we are not worthy of loving. Many of us think we have no value. And that is because along the way, from someone, some way, somehow, we felt it was communicated, you're worthless. That could have been a parent. It could have been a bully. could have been just you were watching advertisement. You just realized you didn't make that checklist. You didn't look like it. It says you should look if you want to be normal. It could have been a neighbor down the street. I don't know it. It could have been the devil himself that told you that you are worthless. You are a failure. The world has handed you a report card and it simply just says failed. You're a failure. And so, so with that, we struggle with this love for others because in this world, we think, how will I be loved? I'm I'm not, I don't know how to love it. I'm simply trying to carve out a place of safety for myself where when the word comes, you're not good enough. I'm still going to be safe. I'm still going to be okay. 
think many of us have such a hard time ever articulating the words, I love you, because we just long to hear someone say that to us. And yet we know, as we looked at last week, that the beginning of love is not our ability to love, but that God has first loved us. That we are recipients of an everlasting love. And so I think the best way to understand how we are to love our neighbors is by understanding this context. To see the parent with an adolescent child. I mean, I want you to pull up this picture in your head because it's so probably vivid for many of us. Adolescence is a hard time. It's a hard time trying to figure out who you are, who you like, how you're doing at school, am I good enough, cool enough, all those things. And, and in that time, it can be dark and sparing. What do I want to be when I grow up? And, and all these expectations. And, and think of the parent, the loving parent who sits down with their child who's going this. The, uh, and the parent, all that's in their heart, all that's in their heart is to say the simple thing, to communicate the simple thing to their child. And that is, man, if you could only see you the way that I see you. If only you could see you the way I see you. And that is what God speaks over you. Man, if only you could see you the way that I see you. God didn't make you a mistake. You are not an oops on God's radar. You are are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so God's looking at you going, man, just, oh, if you could only see yourself. I'm just so excited about you. That, that is the way, the, but we struggle with this because instead of hearing the words from God and seeing God's love for us and, and letting him explain to us who we are, because there's no one better to that. Instead, we take our own view of self-love and go, God, if only you could love me the, this way. God's like, no, I'm wanting to restore you, grow you, show you who you are. It's amazing promises he's given to us, amazing ways he's communicated this to us. And, and one of those is in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 3, if you can pull that up. Listen, Paul is writing, and he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I love this because it's, it's saying Christ doesn't just want to dwell with you. He wants to literally dwell within you. There's no greater gift He can give you then the gift of himself and and he wants to be in you. And listen how it explains that. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This should take away from you any any thought that God does not want you because he 
He does more than want you. He wants to fill you up with his fullness, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And how, how often are, are we still feeling like we're on the outside looking in? If, if only I could fill in the blank then, when God is going, man, if only I, you could see yourself the way that I see you, full of potential, because I made you so full of potential. And I want to fill you up, fill you up to be an expression of that in the world. And that is how you love others by loving yourself. And that is how you love yourself, by hearing the voice of God saying, man, if only you could see yourself the way that I see you. Guys, I just, I want you, I ask you to meditate on that as God is saying that to you this week. If only you could see yourself the way that I see you. How does God see you? And don't lie to yourself. Go back to the scripture and say, man, I know I can't even grasp how wide and high and Deep is the love of God. I can't even begin to imagine it. So start trying to imagine it. Seriously. Start trying to imagine how much God loves you. I dare you to try that. And in that, that is how we begin to love. Is because it becomes then an, an overflow. Simply all I'm giving to others is what has been given to me. The, the love of God. And this is, this is the marker of being a Christian. That we love God, that we love others, and the often forgotten part of this commandment, that you love yourself. So my challenge for, for us this week is I want you to... Um, to think through the list I showed you and ask, are there any people on that list that I have a hard time loving? And ask yourself why. Like sincerely ask yourself why. Or if you're reactive, if you see posts on Facebook or newspaper articles or see somebody in public and you just realize you're react, you just, you're like, it could just be this. If that person talked to me, I just don't know what I'd say. Honestly, I don't know why I say a lot of times too, but I, I pray that I will act in a loving way. Because the God of the universe has said, you don't need to create a safe place for yourself. Your safety is in me. It says in Romans 8, right, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Jesus, it says, and I love this verse so much, he says, if he did not withhold Jesus from us, how is he going to withhold anything else from us, right? We are co-heirs with Christ. That's what it says. It's not, we're, not, we're not like, like second-hand sons and daughters. We are like full-on his. And all the reward of Jesus is ours. You're safe. You're loved. On demand. You're safe. You're loved. So what's keeping you from loving others? And where, where does God want you to start? Is it, is it a work? You've warned people at work. What, what is it? And where does God want you to start? And I just challenge you to start doing it. Start doing it. And you're going to be terrible at it. 
He will. Keep doing it. And, and every time you feel terrible about it, you know what it's going to feel like? It's going to feel like that fullness is diminished a little bit. And then you need to go back and meditate on all the promises of God for you, all the love of God for you. And you're just going to fill it back up, right? There is no way to exhaust the love that God has for you. There is no, nothing in all creation that can separate you from his love. And so, so as you start giving and you get, you get scared because maybe, maybe there won't be enough for me, breathe. Can you see yourself the way God sees you? He is so, so in love with you. Pray with me. Father, I'm challenged even by preaching again how preaching can be such a cerebral act and, and receiving it can be something we just get caught up in thinking. And we scare ourselves by our own thinking, like all the what ifs. So many of these things keep us from loving. Teach us how to be slow to speak and quick to listen. God, I pray that you will. God, even this week, just give us new eyes to see us how you see us. I pray that you will just silence our mouths when we speak poorly of other people. When we think it's okay to make fun of some people or treat some people as enemies. I pray that we'll just be disgusted if we, if we find that coming out of ourselves. God, forgive us. Father, forgive us for imagining that you're okay with us having enemies. Because you're not. You said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And you said you can do that because he's because you've loved us. God, I pray that we'll just live in that reality. You'll you'll show us this way of loving because you've showed us yourself and you've showed your love to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.